All right. Migrated here from little, to Little Saigon in the 80s in his teen, Bumble now spent more years in the States than in Vietnam. Graduate of Fuller Seminary, Bumble is the lead pastor of Redemption Point, the Vietnamese district of the CMA um, first, second generation church since 2010. As a bi-vocational church planter, he is also the head of IT for Community College in Orange County, California. Prior to this, he also served as a youth leader, EM pastor, and even interim church pastor for Vietnamese church. He has an amazing wife, Jenny, and an available 21-year-old son, Timmy, who's sitting right there. <laughs> Anyways, um, let's please welcome uh, Pastor Bowman today as he gives us our message. I didn't know they were going to uh, read that and embarrass Timmy. But I guess that uh, deserve, Timmy deserved that. Um, actually, let me, let me have um, a better introduction. Because I think bio like that is what you print in brochure when people don't really know you. You go into like speaking gig and stuff, right? But uh, my relationship with uh, TLC is actually deeper and many of you may not know. Uh, back when I was in Vietnam as a kid, uh, six or seven years old back then, uh, I was in a way discipled by um, Mr. Chung Tu Long, many of you know, you know, his parents. I don't want to embarrass you. But, uh, but your dad actually was my, my, uh, my big brother. We, we have in Vietnam at the time they start doing this um, like Christian scout, and I was a little scout, and he was like a bigger brother leading the troop and you know, teaching the Bible and do all that stuff. Uh, beyond uh, that relationship, uh, some of you may not know that the Mukshu um, Lin's wife, Kobit uh, Drum, is actually um, um, both she and I, we go to uh, the youth group together back in Vietnam. And during the days that the, there was a revival broke out in Vietnam back in 1979, we were a part of that and we witnessed uh, the power of God uh, in our life, in our friend's life. Um, so I think we give, get very close contact. Um, and my, my uh, uh, really my, my respect to TLC and to Pastor Tony is really a lot. Uh, so today, I'm not so sure, uh, can you start the slide deck for, for me? Um, so today, when uh, Pastor Tony going away, so he asked me, you know, come and uh, preach for the church. I, I asked uh, Pastor Tony, so what should I preach on? And he said, well, I'm out on mission trip, so maybe something related to mission would be good. So I go back and, you know, the thing that I learned about mission, and this is like, the best thing that I learned, but then I begin to realize that my best thing that I learned may not, maybe like halfway with what you guys are doing. Because from an outside in perspective, uh, TLC has been really amazing in mission works. Uh, from what I understand, you guys are sending teams out every year, multiple teams going to multiple different locations. Uh, in the past, you know, 10, 12 years or so, not only you help plant uh, City Light Church, and then recently, you also sent out Evans, uh, you know, to, to plant the church. So, you know, I'm, I'm leading Redemption Point all these years, but I know that, man, these things are super, super hard to do. 
So in a way, it's like you know, asking a rookie coach coming to talk to an NBA player and say, hey, you know, how are we supposed to you know, win the game? I said, dude, I, I'm not so sure, right? But I think what I can only do is talking about, um, you know, from my perspective, from scripture, maybe it may be like a review together. So if this is like basic, um, and then, you know, forgive me and just, you know, by the grace of God, we, we take it and we say, maybe we, we missed something in the basic. You know how doing sport, uh, you know, people going back to the basic because we, you need the basic in order to win the game, right? So, I mean, it's okay to take a look at the basic. So, my title for the sermon today is Base Camp for Mission. Uh, next slide, please. So, that was actually inspired by the whole idea about uh, mountaineer climbing, uh, climbing to, um, for specific reason, would be like climbing to really, really high mountain like Mount Everest, for example. Uh, from my background as a software developer, I remember a long time ago, they taught you that when you begin to approach things like uh, hiking to Mount Everest, it's a completely different game compared to go hiking normally. Uh, normally, if you're hiking in a trail, I mean, everything really known, so you know what expected, you can learn from experience and all that stuff. Hiking to like Mount Everest is something that people usually don't take over and over, so you have no experience, you have to come in, require a different skill set to do so. One of the key things that require for that is establish these things called base camp, when you begin to, to kind of conquer these kind of obstacles. So what is base camp? Is that, that you know, for, for mountain expedition, what you do is you drive as far as you could, um, and then you begin to hike, and then eventually you get to a place that's no longer safe without hiking without rope. That would be the place that you would establish base camp, and then rope coming out, and you begin to rope, and you begin to, you know, just climbing the mountain until another place that's safe enough for you to establish another base, right? So if you take a look at the next slide, uh, you will see this is the trail that go to Mount Everest. So the base camp is actually the one in the really lower left corner of whole, the, the whole um, picture. And there, the print was just so small, so I have to basically blow it up. Is that the base camp? That first base camp is the, where the support staff remain there. Climbers begin to train and acclimate because when you climb without oxygen and other stuff, you have to basically take the time. And then each of the red dots along the line is actually, you know, uh, base camp number two, base camp number three, base camp number four, base camp number five, before you basically ascend into this really, really steep, uh, arduous climb at the end. Right, so that is how um, we, we tackle this uh, of, of climbing. Um, now, in order for you to climb to the path of uh, Everest, it's really, really difficult because the path there is unstable and inhospitable landscape, right? The weather is so unpredictable that it results in huge loss of life. Uh, certainly, like out of nowhere, strong wind coming on, you get white snow, uh, white out snow condition. Uh, up to this point, people know that over 300 people have died attempting to reach the summit of the, of the, of the mountain. Right? Everything that coming from like uh, attitude sickness to ice falls, you know, uncharted territory, this is not something that you can do unprepared or underdetermined. Uh, next slide, please. So this is a picture of the actual base camp at the uh, bottom of Mount Everest. 
And I don't know if you uh, follow the news, but actually COVID uh, broke out over there and Nepal also get affected by it as well. So they're trying to get like vaccine and all this stuff there. Uh, so this is the actual base camp. Next slide, please. So um, the question then become, okay, if it's so hard and so difficult, uh, why would people want to set out to do this, all right? Um, the really, really interesting line that we uh, seen before, um, before 1950s, uh, Mount Everest is one of the goal for many expeditions to trying to conquer that. Who would be the first one who set foot on the top of Mount Everest, right? So one of the mountaineers, very famous mountaineer, his name is uh, George uh, Mallory. Uh, he was quoted by President J.F. Kennedy. He said, that, well, the reason that people set out to do that because it's there. You know, the mountain is there, the top there, so we have to go there. But that actually is an inaccurate um, quote, because in his memoir, um, George Mallory said that the reason that he do climbing Mount Everest and set his sight to, to climb this mountain is just for the sheer joy, right? The sheer joy from the adventure and joy is after all the end of life, which means the meaning of life, right? So that, that's what he, he's setting for. So he set out and climbed this mountain over and over, make several attempts, write several books about it, and become the foundation for everybody else basically attempt for that. In 1924, he set out to climb uh, Mount Everest. Unfortunately, he disappeared. People don't find him. Later on, we found his body 100 meters, barely 100 meters before the top. 30 years after, in 1956, uh, Sir Edmund Hillary and his partner, Tenzin uh, Norgay, actually set out and conquered the top of Mount Everest. And um, for the joy that been there. So, next slide, please. The question for us, that would be their mission. What is our mission as a church, right? So our mission is also on top of a mountain, Jesus commands us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, so today, no doubt, no one would be argue that the mission of the church carried out by people in TLC, RP, all the churches is basically making disciples to the end of the earth, right? So that is our mission. So um, let's take a look at um, the Bible today. Next slide, please. And we are going to take a look from Acts chapter 11. And it is the story of how um, we are to be uh, people to do this, right? So Acts Chapter 11, starting from verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number of believers turned to the Lord. 
The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught and great, uh, a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciple was first called Christians. Next slide, please. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold the spirit that there would be a great famine over all over the world, this took place later on in the day of Claudius. So the disciple determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brother living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch, that same church, prophets and teachers like Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tearch, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work uh, to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they lay hand on them and send them off. So this is actually the first missionary journey of uh, Paul or Saul, right? Uh, this is the word of God. Let us pray. We'll jump right in. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to be able to... Um, Look at your word uh, and your exhortation to us, the church, to be a base camp for mission. I pray for clarity, for unction, and not only that, for your transforming power of your Holy Spirit, so that the word would not just come into our ear, but also penetrate our heart and eventually work in our, in our life and our action. Uh, be with us as we listen to your word and obey in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, next slide, please. So what I'm going to talk about today is actually three things. I've already talked halfway about the first point, which is what is the base camp for mission, and what do we need to do to establish a base camp, and then what will the base camp like, right? So that will be the three basic points. Uh, next slide, please. So what is the mission? Uh, I think we talk about Acts chapter 1. Uh, Jesus tells his disciples to advance uh, the gospel be witnessed not only in Judea, but Samaria, you know, and to the end of the earth, right? So I think that's the, the mission is making disciples uh, all, um, to all people. Next slide. So by the time that you begin to get to chapter 8, uh, you begin to see that the church actually have an internal inertia of doing so. So therefore, God began to send persecution to the church of Jerusalem, and as the result, they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except that apostle, you know, they can stick around. And then those, the people who go now, they, they begin to uh, preach uh, as the word as they go along. So later on, when we find in chapter uh, 11, is those who were scattered because of persecution now, uh, even in Stephen's time, right, they travel as far as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to only Jews. So if you take a look at the map that I show on the screen, you see the black arrow 
and the red arrow, right? So the black arrow is actually the, the, the first wave of people who go from Jerusalem when they were scattered, persecuted, they go all over the world around there and they're speaking to their fellow Jews uh, about Jesus, right? And then the word continue on, right? So, but then there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who uh, on coming to Antioch, begin to speak to Hellenists, which means the Greek-speaking uh, Jew or speaking people uh, preaching the Lord Jesus as well, so that the red uh, line that you begin to show from the island, that Cyprus island, coming into Antioch, and from um, uh, Cyrene is North Africa also coming to, to Antioch. Right? Next slide, please. So at this church, Antioch, the church of Antioch is where this happening, and then this second wave of, of, of Christian, of disciple-maker, Actually, in Act 13, you begin to see that that church begin to have a leadership of multi-ethnic people, right? You, you have people who are from Cyrene, that's from Africa. You have Niger. You have people who are rich, who are poor. The five of them get over, and then the Holy Spirit begins to say, hey, now Paul and Barnabas go and actually go on a like long-term mission and, and bring the gospel to across of the Roman Empire, right? So in Act chapter 13, you can see the map there from Antioch. Now, Paul actually start his first trip kind of locally and follow that. He will do second trip and then third trip um, through mission. And the face of the rest of the world, even us today, completely changed by what Paul and Barnabas did uh, in that time, right? So that is how the early church began to advance this mission. And the church of Antioch is actually a base camp of that. And that's why we want to basically focus a little bit on, you know, what's going on there. Next slide, please. So what do we need to establish the, the base camp? What do we need to establish a church of God that's so effective that it influences, you know, thousands of, of people down the road in the, in the century? So when we begin to take a look at this, we see a couple of things, and I have, uh, so if you want to take note, the purple line is going to be the note-taking point, so next slide. So the first point, what do we need to do? We need to be an army and not an audience. One of the major, major things happened in the early church, as you can see, is when the church in Jerusalem, when they scatter, the, the apostle actually stay behind. So the people who get scattered and go everywhere and preach the word of God, they are normal people. They are lay people. They, they go to work. They go to school. They do whatever they do, but they're actually preaching the word. The problem with the church today, most church, we think that mission, we think that proclaiming the word of God is the job of the pastor, of a few people, the leaders, right? And then a lot of us, we are the audience. We just basically just, you know, participate. And that's not the spirit that God wants us to have, right? So the first thing, we need to be an army and not an audience. Second point, please. We also need to be a new catalyst for the new challenge. Now, what I'm saying is this. The first generation of Christians in Jerusalem, they are Jews, right? They speak Hebrew language. They go all over the place. So they begin to speak using Hebrew language to people who are the Hebrew who, you know, scatter around the Roman Empire. But notice, it's the second generation, the people who outline in red, right? They're actually not even from Jerusalem. 
they are the second generation of believers, they actually speak in Greek. Right? Maybe their parents, maybe their cousins speak in Hebrew, and they kind of, you know, understand both. So now when they begin to speak, the Bible said that they actually come from Cyrene, they come from, you know, Cyprus, they're not even from Jerusalem. They are the second generation convert, and when they come and they speak, they speak to the Hellenists. They speak to anyone who can understand Greek, right? So they begin to talk to them. Uh, so one thing that I see is the church needs to empower people to be able to relate to the culture around us. I learned a lot when I tried to do the eSport Fest last year because I realized that gamer have their own culture, have their own language, have their own really, really, like when we begin to discover this, like the whole gaming online is super toxic, for example. You know, pe people, like, people like trash talk each other like a normal thing, right? We don't know about that, right? And then we also know that the, the gaming culture is also very alienated to the Christian and the Christian masses. Right? So if you are a Christian, you call yourself a Christian, and people online wouldn't, you know, the, the gamer online, they, they wouldn't really... You know, take a liking about you at all. And so it's a very, very dark space, dark corner in the cyberspace. And the question is, how are we supposed to reach these people, right? And one thing that I begin to realize, I, we actually have no idea. We, we don't know how to relate to them or connect to them. You know, a couple of us really passionate about this. So, you know, we do Twitch TV and, you know, you're trying to get people in. They watch the game and you talk about Jesus. You know, and the minute you talk about Jesus, they, they left the channel, right? They don't want to listen anymore, right? But then that is the sort of stuff that we begin to see. So what are we going to do about this? And, and gaming is just like one, one part of this, right? You also begin to know you, you hang out with people. There is subculture everywhere, right? And they are not going to be open to the message of Jesus Christ. Try to, trying to get into VSA scene. Those of you who, who go into to school, you know, VSA, Vietnamese Student Association, almost every single college will have, will have something like that, right? Uh, Timmy, my son, was in college for four years trying to be a part of VSA. Did he actually be able to penetrate that culture and be able to, to witness and make disciple and make any convert out of that? No, not yet. I mean, it's, it's super, super difficult to be able to, to go into these things. And we need to have people who have, uh, you know, really understand the language and the culture and love them enough to talk about Jesus Christ. Next slide, please. That's why the third thing that we need to do is not only really we need to connect, but also we have to communicate the gospel, right? The Bible say here, they spoke to the Hellenists and they preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of us have no problem just hanging out with our friend, you know? So I, I, I know I, I work with uh, some of the gamers, you know, and people, yeah, I have no problem going online and pick up some game and just play and, you know. So you, you kind of connect. You, you speak the gaming language with people, but can you effectively preach the Lord Jesus Christ to them in such a way that I don't want to hear about you anymore? You know, your, 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 your Twitch channel, I'm going to ban, you know, I'm not going to subscribe to your Twitch channel because, you know, you, you actually are a terrible game player and then you also talk about Jesus on top of that, right? So can we actually do that and do that well? Some of us, we just want to come in and blast people with Jesus, right? We don't even connect to them, you know, where they're from. Some of us, 
all we want to do is go in there, identify with them, be their friend, and sinning the same way that they are sinning. And that's not the right thing either, right? So what we see is this generation, they have that really that, that specialty. They do that well. Next slide, please. And then, fourthly, we need to recognize the hand of God to draw people to himself. And I love it because I think when I talk to, to Pastor Tony about this, right, this is big because we are not going to convert anyone. Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would convict people and, and they would be converted through that power of God. What we are doing is we are faithful and be obedient with the opportunity that God gave us, with the challenge the Holy Spirit put on our heart. And that's what we need to do. Don't think that, hey, I am going to basically, you know, turn my, uh, my campus upside down because of uh, the, the, the Lord and, you know, try and go out there and win people for Jesus, right? Uh, I think that's not our job. Our job is basically be faithful and trust, and you have to see the hands of God to draw people to himself. Now, sometimes you know that when you begin to, you know, engage with your friend, and then your friend, some of them, they don't want to hear the message. They're bigger, they gripe, they basically attack you back, right? And then that's fine, you know, you, you back off. But then some people begin to uh, maintain the relationship. They begin to ask for more. You know exactly if your friend is really interested, for real, or they just want to pick a fight with you, right? So what you do is you begin to see, discern that sort of hands of God, of grace, upon them, and be there and be responsive to them when God begins to work in their heart, right? So we have to have that sort of spiritual discernment. Next uh, point, please. So what I challenge you is, this is actually uh, the, the map that they talk about the, the environment after the pandemic. So in this map, they talk about our social interaction. Uh, so sometimes you have a task that like, you know, uh, low challenge or low engagement. So for example, this is using the sport concept, right? Low engagement, low challenge, like, you know, couch potato, just go and watch football. You know, you don't actually do anything. Low challenge and high engagement would be, you would engage like parents, uh, engage with kids into sport, right? And then you have high challenge and low engagement would be the sort of COVID pandemic where you cannot really play sport at all. All you do is like, doing your own practice at home and Zoom in it and, you know, do exercise to Zoom or something, you know, with people. It's very, very difficult, right? And then the high engagement and high challenge would be the sort of thing like, for example, when you're actively coaching a team in school or something, right? So you actually have a chance to engage people, have high impact, you know. So that would be the sort of high challenge and high engagement. Uh, next slide, please. So what you have is covid force you to go into the lower right quadrant, right? It, it creates a lot of stress, right? You have, you know, low engagement, nobody connect to anybody, a high challenge, how are you going to basically do in this mission stuff? So now after COVID, what we need to do is how we can basically raise the level of um, engagement, but don't go back to the idea of, yeah, just get something easy, low challenge and stuff, and you miss out the opportunity, right? Next slide, please. That which is actually a commercial for you to break your attention. Because the next part is what else do we need? I go through four points so far, there's three more to go. The next point, this is from the, the part about um, 
the church in Jerusalem begin to hear what's going on in Antioch. Say, oh, great, let's send Barnabas there. You know, and Barnabas go in there, minister to the church, and call in uh, Saul. And through that, we learn three things. Uh, next slide. The next thing that we see is that what you see is in order to establish the base camp, you need to be rooted, you need to be anchored deep in the historical faith, right? Notice that now a big ministry going on in Antioch, they seem doing so well. Second generation church, awesome. Why do you think we need to basically get Barnabas from Jerusalem church over there? Oh, because they want to basically connect them to the root, right? So you have to be rooted in the historic faith. Many times you may have movement, and the movement may even look like a Christian movement. But is it really a movement of God? We need to understand and we need to basically root back in Scripture. Now, for example, I remember uh, for the zeal of evangelism and outreach, uh, people talk about, you know, so how can you train a disciple to be train a disciple, train a disciple? So an example of this is, uh, you know, we have this little booklet uh, for spiritual law, right? Uh, how you go through and you explain to people and help them to pray the prayer and stuff. So the example will be something like this. I know how to work the four spiritual law to witness to some stranger, lead them to the faith, have them pray the prayer. So is this a good uh, idea of, uh, of a movement when I actually would witness to my friend, train them, you know, after they pray the, the conversion prayer, I also give them a whole pack of this and tell them, okay, so now if you want to make disciple, you go out and tell other people, you know, the same thing that I did to you, you know, have the, the four spiritual law and have them to pray the prayer and stuff and continue to, you know, spread the movement forward. Is that really disciple making disciple? The answer is that yeah, it's kind of shallow, right? I mean, if, if, if you have Christian, if Christian is all about like praying the prayer and go through a booklet to people who can pray that, that's not really discipleship, right? So I think we know that. Why do we know that? Because we actually begin to go back to Scripture. We know what a disciple is supposed to look like, so we have to be rooted in the historic faith. So that's why in the base camp, you have to have that root in, in, the, in the Scripture and in the Word. Next slide, please. Um, yeah. So the other thing that you have, is we also need to encourage one another in God's grace. So Barnabas coming in to this brand new church, a bunch of new converts, new Christians, he come in and what they say that he saw the grace of God, right? He's glad, and he began to exhort them to remain faithful. Now, many times, I think, some of us, we are older in our faith. You know, we are more seasoned, you know, like I was talking about, yeah, I know your, 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 you know, your pastor's wife, you know, your parents back in the day, and I can come in here and say, you guys are, you guys are wrong. You guys are, didn't do the, the Christian thing right. You know, you, you're supposed to do this, 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 this. I can see all sort of wrong thing that you do, right? When I was basically working with a Vietnamese church, uh, there will be somebody who, like the son and the daughter of some pastor, and then some pastor, and they come in to me and say, Pastor, you are doing it all wrong. The Vietnamese church tradition, we always do it this way. You know, you have to read the Bible in this way. You have to, you know, there is responsive reading. There have to be three songs before the sermon, you know. You can get caught up in all this stuff, right? Or even, let's say, if you have a new Christian coming to your mosque, 
and this Christian is new, so he didn't, didn't know anything better, so he go out and have a smoke. He said, no, Christian is not supposed to smoke. You know, the sin, you know, so get rid of that. That's not the attitude that Barnabas have, right? Barnabas actually see the grace of God, and he's a son of encouragement. So he actually begins to encourage them and help them, exhort them to become faithful. So I think if we begin to, if we want to basically be a base camp for God's mission, we also need to basically have that attitude. We need to encourage one another in God's grace, help them to be faithful, help them to grow, right? By the time that people begin to grow and then be so, oh yeah, I, I don't think, I, you know, Jesus satisfied my life. I don't really need to basically, you know, resort on these, like, you know, thing that, you know, extra really doesn't benefit me in my life, right? And they can quit this stuff and they can drop out that stuff. They become more and more and more godly, right? Uh, next slide. And then the, the last thing here in the list of seven is that we also need to partner wider for discipleship. So Barnabas coming to this new Christian church. He's like the oldest, you know, the most mature Christian, right? So when he speaks, hey, I heard Peter talk about this stuff. Like, wow, you are one of those guys who really know people who know Jesus, right? Like really, really awesome. So but then he actually begins to say, hey, wait a minute. I, I know of a guy who actually, you know, can teach better than I do. So he go out and he's looking for uh, Saul of Tarsus, right? He go out, bring him in, and uh, begin to get him to work in the ministry, so I think one thing that in order for us to have a healthy, healthy uh, church, would be we would willing to partner with uh, one another wider, right? I know that one of the beef that the CMA and the Baptists usually have is like they have this beef over tribalism, right? It's like, yeah, you know, the CMA, they're always just like internal thing. They just do a thing there themselves. They're not really partner with other people outside of the church, right? And then uh, the CMA is like, no, the Baptists, they're too liberal. They have all these ideas and stuff. It's like, dude, why do we do this? We are fighting on the same side, right? And I think that is the, the sort of thing that I begin to see that us, the second generation, we don't really care that much, really, right? So... By this, for the sake of the gospel and, and for the encouragement of one another, we should partner, we should basically learn from one another. I mean, I have no issue with, you know, talking to Tony and that dude, look like you guys, TLC, you are ahead on, on, on us. You know, the, the records show it. You are much ahead um, from, from, from where we see in terms of, like, you know, just planting, in terms of discipleship, in terms of mission, you know, we would love to basically learn it from you, right? So I think that is the kind of thing that we need to have um, in, our, in our community. Uh, next point, please. Actually, at this point, I'll give you a minute to basically catch up. For those of you who missed a couple of things, that will be the seventh point that you have about what we need, we need to do. But the real question is, what is it that God is convicting your heart of? Are you actually all good in all these things? Oh, the church may be good in all these things. How about you personally? Are you more of an active participant or are you just an audience? Are you really connect and communicate the gospel? Right? Uh, are, you, are you understand the, the, the culture relevant around you? 
do you see the, the hand of God, the grace of God drawing people to, your, uh, to, to himself? Do you anchor well in the word of God? Uh, do you encourage more than your criticism of people? Do you partner for discipleship? So apply that into your own life as well, right? Um, next slide, please. I'm going to number three, which is the closing, okay? So how this base camp look like? What is the environment of this base camp look like? So next slide, please. What we see in, um, at the end of chapter 11 is that at Antioch is where the disciples were first called Christian. Now, why is this significant? Before this, they don't call them Christian, but now they do. The reason that it's significant, you also have to do a little bit of archaeology. When you do archaeology, you begin to find out that the town or the city of Antioch is very interesting because it don't have wall around the city, but they also have wall inside the city. Because what happened is Antioch is a multi-ethnic large you know, uh, city, so they have different groups of national, you know, like the, the uh, let us say the, um, the Jew will have the Jew ghetto, you know, and then the people from Europe, they will have their own ghetto, so they have war within the city. So in case any sort of riot happen, they basically go through a hard lockdown so that, you know, you are not going to cross over and you cause problems and stuff. And the city, each nationality basically have their own group, right? But when the Christian begin to pan through different national, you know, um, nationality and stuff, these people begin to come together. And the town people begin to say, this is weird, you know, why is it that they gather together? I mean, the Jews and the Greek and, you know, the people from, you know, Mesopotamia and all these people, you know. And then the town people say, oh, yeah, those are in the uh, Christ party. Christian actually is like more of a Christ party, just like today it have a political non connotation like Republican and Democrat, right? So that's like, oh yeah, the reason that they're because they follow this Christ guy, you know? And it's actually kind of a, a uh, degrading way to, to talk to people. But then what it really shows you is this, the love in the church across all the differences in terms of, you know, uh, race and color and rich or poor, actually that strong love begins to bridge the wall. Today we still struggle with that, right? I mean, we see the pandemic and how it basically, you know, gets so polarized. And in our own community, it's also tough. You know, I, I, I came from a tradition with the first generation, second generation church. I know it, it's problematic. It's very difficult for English-speaking generation, trying to relate with Vietnamese-speaking generation, and you know, all of this tension and stuff. But I think the true love, you guys, your name, right? True love community should be the reflection of that, where love becomes the strong bond that bridge all the barrier and all the gap, right? So that would be one of the first characteristics. Next slide, please. The other thing that we begin to see is they begin to advance beyond their war in actions. When a prophet coming in and say, yeah, we're going to have a big famine in, um, 
in uh, uh, Jerusalem. These Christians, they are not even from Jerusalem to start with, right? They gather together and they say, we're going to give, we're going to help them with the relief, with the famine. Oh, brother and sister, this is what it will show through your action. How do you relate to things like, um, using one of the similar examples, what happened right now in Vietnam with COVID? Now, we are great over here, things open up. In Vietnam, Ho Chi Minh City actually locked down right now, locked down really hard. And back there, people, the poor, if they cannot really go out and sell things on the street, I mean, but they are, they are starved, you know, among themselves, they're talking about how, uh, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to die of COVID or not, but I think I'm going to die because I don't have food, right? I think a couple, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, our church took up an offering for the blind ministry in Vietnam because we know the blind people, they are really hurting during this time. If they cannot go now, they won't be able to have any sort of support. Right? So those are the kind of things that we can do to advance you know, the gospel beyond our wall uh, in action. Um, last point. Next, next slide, please. How is this all possible? How is this community, this base camp for mission happen? We can trace back to one person, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, right? He said that the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to Antioch. He actually didn't have to leave Jerusalem during the persecution, but he chose to left Jerusalem, come into this group, right, and um, identify himself with them. He come, and then he served. So he, he served, one of the most amazing things is he's actually, he came from the outside, but then because of his service, everybody come to him, everybody become um, a Christian and stuff. So, so for him, he said, yeah, I'm finally make it big. I have my own church. You know, my church now is big as the one in Jerusalem. I mean, I can compare myself with Peter now. I have a church of Antioch. But no, that's not his attitude. His attitude is, no, what's the best thing for the church? Oh, the best thing for the church is introduce them to Saul, to Paul. He had that humility attitude to serve, right? And then the thing is, we begin to say, wow, that, that's very amazing. You know, he actually is sacrificial, you know, he's serving the church and build this, this community together, you know, building the team, not really going out for himself. Where would he get that from? So, next slide, please. He was a disciple of a disciple of Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. He did not have to be scattered out into the world, right? But he voluntarily go into the world. He came willingly out of his home to be in the scattered world with us. And then you can see that Jesus also served us. He gave his life to pay for our sins so that we can be reconciled to God. And Jesus' whole attitude was service. He humbled himself, obedience to the Father, even to the point of death on the cross, so that we can become God's children. And so now we can also have God's spirit, the same spirit to reside in Jesus Christ, 
The same spirit that resides in Barnabas, that same spirit can reside in us and help us to become more like Jesus, just like Barnabas, right? So I think the, the, the challenge that I have for you is yes, we also become, I think TLC is actually a very good example of a base camp for mission. You will continue to send team exploring, establish the next base camp. Do you have people to be able to send them on to establish new church, to explore new frontier, to impact people? What can we do so that our base camp can clearly be strong, right? To train people, equip people, and send them out for mission. So I pray that the blessing of God will be upon you and the work that you do. Let us pray.